Every year when people visit Niagara Falls, they're struck by its incredible size, majestic power, and breathtaking beauty. Niagara Falls makes you feel appropriately small in part of a much larger story. I mean, how do you cross a river of this magnitude? I mean, you could try to swim across it or even get a boat, but the raging rapids make it a dangerous task, even for the most experienced thrill seeker. But in the 1840s, if you were a traveler trying to get from the United States to Canada, you had to go miles out of the way from the falls and take a time-consuming ferry boat ride. As tourism and trade continued to grow, it became paramount to find a new solution. A suspension bridge needed to be built. Charles Elliott Jr., a civil engineer from Philadelphia, decided to take on the task. He wanted to build a quarter-mile suspension bridge at the lower Niagara at the narrowest point. Now that bridge had to support the weight of a fully loaded train with livestock and pedestrians, and it had to take on the wind, rain, and threat of tornadoes. Now this is the exact location that Ellett built his suspension bridge. Now, it might look doable to us, but in 1847, without modern technology, it was unthinkably tough. A combination of the depth of the gorge and the massive rapid whirlpools meant you couldn't just get on a ferry boat, grab a cable, and start building. Ellett and his team had to figure out, how do we get across the first all-important cable? They tried catapults. They tried crossbows. They tried cannons, and then they even tried shooting it across with a firework. Each idea ultimately failed, until someone came up with an elegant solution. They said, let's go fly a kite. So a kite flying competition was announced. Dozens of participants from all over this area came to this location, including an ingenious young man, a teenager, by the name of Holman Walsh. Now, he had designed a six-sided barn door-type kite he called the Union. Now, he had covered it in muslin to protect it from the moisture-filled air in this area. However, he had to hike over two miles in the snow to get to the Canadian side to take advantage of the western winds to get his kite to fly from one country, ultimately, back to the United States. So the contestants launched their kites, and up, up, up they soared until the gales of this area knocked them down one after another. After many days of the competition, most of the participants withdrew, but not Holman Walsh. He and others continued to battle it out, but even his Union kite was eventually embattled by the winds and came crashing down, requiring him in the snow to hike back to that ferry boat, back down to the gorge to try and repair his kite. By the time he returned, the competition was still going, still unsuccessful. He launched his kite up, up in the air, and eventually it crashed on the American side, spanning the 800-yard gorge. He had won the competition. Two nations suddenly united. Two worlds, previously uncrossable, now brought together by a simple string. When many of us look at our life, we see chasms. We see a gap between who we are and who we want to be. Between what we say we're going to do and what we actually do. Those chasms can be wide, even fearfully wide. They can be financial chasms. They can be personal chasms. 
often they're just relational chasms. We think my marriage is starting to grow apart and I'm not sure we can ever come together. I haven't talked to my daughter in months ever since I lost my temper and said that dumb thing. My dad and I haven't talked since three Christmases ago. I can't believe he said that to me. We think these chasms are uncrossable. But Easter is about a God who bridges the uncrossable chasms. God came from heaven to earth to offer us peace and forgiveness and mercy to build a bridge. And because he built a bridge for us, he wants us to build a bridge for others. So this Easter, it starts with a string. Send the text, shoot an email, be the first to initiate. And don't do it because they deserve it. No, do it because God first initiated with you. Easter is all about building bridges and closing gaps. Easter is about building bridges, but you're not going to need a bridge until you first have a gap. And the Bible describes a gap, a gap between mankind and himself. And that gap is wider than you can imagine. That we can't live up to our own standards, let alone God's standards. And sometimes you don't realize how big the gap is. It starts with, well, I need to try a little harder. I'm not as good as I maybe should be. We think it's a crack or a crevice. But often we don't notice how big the problem is until it becomes a gap. And by the time it's a gap, it's overwhelming. And I'm not sure there's any way to reconcile now. I'm not sure there's any way to save that relationship, we might say. But Easter reminds us that it begins with a string. God's bridge-building exercises began with a simple string, a baby born in a manger. And yet that simple string would be tied to a twine, which would be tied to a rope, tied to a first cable. And through his life, Jesus would ultimately come to a cross to build a bridge, culminating in final resurrection of showing us how we could be raised with God. I don't know if you ever thought about battling and bridging going together. I really hadn't until I heard the story of my wife's grandfather. He used to build bridges during World War II. But he also tore them down. If the Nazis were coming into an area, their job was to dismantle the bridge. And then just a couple months later, they would rebuild the exact same bridge as the Allied forces were making their way back in. He said that often when they were rebuilding the bridge, fighter pilots would be coming in from the Nazis, shooting at them the whole time. And they'd have to run, they'd have to hide behind the the half-constructed bridge until the fighters cruised on by. Then they grabbed their bridge-building tools and started the bridge-building process. Battling and bridging. It's really what Easter is all about. That God battled to bridge the gap for us. And the reason he endured a violent, brutal death on the cross was to show us he was battling for us. So that you and I, having seen what he did for us, would battle to bridge the gap for others. We'll battle our pride. Battle our self-centeredness. Battle our, I don't even care. This relationship isn't even worth the trouble. 
that we would battle to reconcile with others because God battled to bridge the gap for us. But here's the thing about a, a bridge. There's three attributes for a bridge. Paul mentions to Timothy, he says, the first thing is that a bridge isn't a bridge if it doesn't reach both sides. Right? It's not a bridge. It's a dock. Unless it reaches both sides. And Paul says what makes Christianity unique is Christianity says the unique problem is not that we're good and need to be better. It's, it's not that we're unenlightened and need to be enlightened. It's that we are disconnected from God and need to be bridged into a relationship with God. And because of that, God sent Jesus, who was fully man, so he could reach both sides. He could represent our need, our brokenness. He could literally substitute for us because he was fully man. But he was also fully God. He represented God's love, God's justice, God's standards. And because he was the mediator, the bridge, who was both fully God and fully man, he was the one bridge qualified to reach both sides. Now, other religions will help you be a better person. But they won't help you know God. Even Buddhism, for example, doesn't even take a position on God. You can believe in God, not believe in God. They would say the problem, a Buddhist would say, Buddha himself said, the problem is you're unenlightened and I can bridge you over to being enlightened. But that's not necessarily going to help you connect with God, the Buddha would say. Christianity, on the other hand, says, what you really need is to reconnect with God. And Jesus uniquely is the bridge that bridges the gap. Now, the second thing about a bridge, right, is a bridge has to be rated to carry a certain amount of weight. Have you ever seen on Facebook or Instagram some big old truck that went over some bridge that wasn't rated for its weight? Oh, my goodness. It gets about halfway over and crashes into the bridge, destroying the truck and destroying the bridge. Paul goes on in the passage and says, the reason Jesus went to the cross was to become a ransom. He was showing us the cost of our wrongdoing. He was reaching out to mankind and reaching out to God. And through a brutal death on the cross, he was showing that he was rated to hold the weight, to pay the cost of all people of all times. Everything you'd ever do wrong, past, present, and future. And the reason he would die so violently is to show you he could carry the weight of whatever you would or have done wrong. That's grandfather. After he got out of the war, he started working construction. Had a family now. And he had a terrible accident. He broke his back. It was so bad that the family folklore is that, it's actually not just folklore, it's true, that grandma laid him out and he had to lay on his back barely moving for over a year. She laid him on the dining room table for 12 months. And here this self-made man who's used to doing and accomplishing and battling lay helpless. And while he laid helpless, he was served so well by a wife who loved him, did believe in Jesus and God because he did not believe in the whole thing. But she served him so well, took care of the family, found a way to make ends meet during this incredibly difficult year. And every evening after serving and doing all those things, she pulled out a Bible and she would read him the Bible. 
I guess she figured he was a captive audience. As she began to read the story that tells that we are helpless to be our own bridges, that we can't bridge the gap in our own works, he listened. And after a year, he realized that in the same way he was helpless physically, he was also helpless spiritually to bridge the gap. And he decided to become a follower of Jesus by trusting in Christ to be his bridge. Now, I wouldn't know him until many years later. Many years later, I knew him as a Bible scholar who had memorized gigantic sections of the Bible. But about five to ten years into my friendship with Dewey, he got Alzheimer's. And he could no longer recognize his wife, know her by name at times. He didn't always recognize his kids or his grandkids. It was heartbreaking for all of us. But every once in a while when I sat in the the living room with him, I would say, in the. He would perk up. His hand would go up like he was directing an orchestra and say, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. John chapter 1, and he went on doing the entire chapter. That even in his Alzheimer's, he was trusting God to be his bridge. And Easter is not just about a God who died for us, but a God who raised himself from the dead. And with that is the promise that he will raise you and I from the dead with a brand new mind and a brand new body. So the hope Grandpa had and the hope I had when we did his funeral about a year later was that Grandpa would one day have his mind restored and he would recognize us again. He would be able to to hug us again. His body wouldn't have been ravaged by, by Alzheimer's and by death. And that's the hope of Christianity, that our bodies can be restored, that we can hug and know in our prime the very people that we've loved in life. Because this bridge was rated not only to to bridge the gap of our wrongdoing, but it was rated for resurrection as well. But lastly, we need a bridge that's real. There's a lot of good analogies, a lot of good metaphors, a lot of good similes or Aesop's fables with good things to learn. But a bridge that's going to be something I entrust my eternity to and the purpose of my life to, it better be real. I'm not going to trust my eternity to some nice story or some fable. And so Christianity is either real and we should put our faith upon it or it's just a nice story like many others. Which is why Paul goes on to say, It's real. People testified. They saw it when he was born. Christianity is not a philosophy or religion. It's history. God came to earth. We testified and saw it. We're not lying. We're telling the truth. People saw him crucified in Jerusalem. And after his resurrection, people saw him. Not one time, not a few people, thousands of people. He appeared to the twelve. He appeared to over 500 witnesses. Over multiple weeks, Jesus proved that he could do to you what he had done to himself. I can give you a brand new body. It's real. And here's the evidence to prove it. Now, I remember when I was in kindergarten, we had a kindergarten teacher named Mrs. Rich. And we asked one time, Mrs. Rich, how'd you get your name? She said, have you ever heard of the rainbow that ends with a pot of gold? Oh, yeah. Well, that rainbow ended at my desk. And there was a pot of gold under my desk right here in this classroom. No. 
And we're always trying to sneak up and look under her desk and see if we could see the pot of gold. We love Mrs. Rich. We love the story of the rainbow, the magical bridge that could get you from where you are to the pot of gold. But I am not going to trust my life's purpose to Mrs. Rich's pot of gold. In the same way, I'm not going to trust my life's purpose to an Aesop's fable or a nice idea. Jesus says that what he did was real. It came into history so you can know for sure that resurrection isn't just a nice idea, which it is. It could be a reality because of what he did. If you'll trust him to be your bridge, trust him to be your resurrector. But to do that, you've got to cross the bridge. Where do you think you are on the bridge? I'm kind of leaning toward God. Or do you know for sure you're in relationship with him? Cross the bridge. There was a uh, daredevil, I guess you'd call him, named Blondon. And he had this uh, cable that he stretched across the Niagara River. And he would walk across and the crowds would come like, Wow, do you believe I can do it? We believe it, the Blondon. And he would walk across. He'd get to the other side and he'd blindfold himself. No! Do you believe I can walk across blindfolded? We believe! And he would walk back across blindfolded over the raging troubled waters of Niagara. Then he pulled out a wheelbarrow. Who believes I can push this wheelbarrow across? We believe the great Blondin! He says, all right, who wants to get in the wheelbarrow? Every hand went down. And that's the difference between belief and trust. May us believe that maybe going to Easter service is important because it's part of our family tradition. Or, or we believe maybe there was a guy named Jesus who lived. We believe that maybe some part of the story is true. But we've never trusted that Jesus would be the one that could get us forgiveness. We never trusted that he really was raised from the dead and I can trust him to raise me from the dead. And the message of Easter is at some point you've got to get in the, in the wheelbarrow and move from belief in God to trust in him personally. And when that happens, not only do you have the hope, knowing that you have no condemnation in Jesus, that you are right with God because of what he did for you, not what you do for him, But now a spirit of reconciliation is put in you. That because you crossed the bridge, you now want to bridge across divides. And if there is a chasm that's been forming between you and your spouse, you say, I've got to bridge the gap. And there's moments you don't feel like it. You don't want to bridge the gap. In fact, you don't even want to want to. And that's why you need resurrection. Jesus, resurrect my will that I would want the things you want. Because you see him in the garden saying, not my will, but yours be done. Resurrection. You look at your feelings and say, I don't feel like bridging the gap. All I feel is pain and anger and irritation. That's what I feel when I think about that relationship, when I think of that circumstance, I just see red. And you look to the cross. And as he was being crucified on the cross, you say, here's a man who saw red. His every friend turned their back, spit upon him, pounded nails into him, and he pushed through and died for you to build the bridge to you. And you say, God, resurrect my feelings. Resurrect my feelings that I would feel the things you feel toward this situation because I can't conjure it up my own. I need new life. Are you helping somebody who's sick or hurting, 
Somebody who's depressed and the gap between where they are and where they need to be. You're just worn out helping. Say, God, resurrect my compassion. Resurrect my patience. Resurrect my, my, my mercy. Because these relationships are worth fighting for. That followers of Jesus should be about bridge building. doesn't mean we always agree with the other person, the ex-partner, the ex-spouse, the, the, the son or daughter who did something we disagree with. You don't have to agree with everything. But you say, I want to build a bridge with you. Because God built a bridge to me. There's no gap too wide. There's no load too heavy. And you might say, well, Chad, you don't realize the gap I'm talking about, it's, it's not calm waters. It's troubled waters. But that's what Jesus is a master at doing. He bridged the troubled waters of self-centeredness and unthankfulness and being unloving and impatient and all that is broken in me and all that is broken in you. He just reaches out his hand and says, will you trust me to be your bridge over your troubled waters? And if you want this to be the day that you bridge that gap or ask God to breathe life into your need to bridge across, let me lead you in a prayer. Bow your heads with me and just say something like this. Say, God, I admit I can't be my own bridge. I need help. I'm getting in the, in the wheelbarrow and I'm trusting you for forgiveness and I'm trusting you for new life and I'm asking you to resurrect a spirit of bridge building in me and I'm trusting you to be my bridge over troubled waters. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you that you built a bridge for us. And thank you for the power of resurrection, physical resurrection, that we'll have new bodies, not ravaged by by old age and by the pains and aches of getting older, the hope and promise of seeing those who've died in Christ before us, but Father, the life that you can breathe new life into our will, into our feelings, into our emotion because of Christ in us. For Father, you came to give us life and life more abundant. In Jesus' name, amen. Happy Easter. Thank you for being here today for our celebration.